Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. This is the SS Ganymede and Titan Escape Pod, ident 12 slash beta 2. Can you read me over? Oh wait, no it's not. It's just the Ganymede and Titan live reaction dwarf cast for Red Dwarf 11, episode 2, Samsara. Yes, you've watched the episode, and now the Karma Drive has brought you this podcast. We'll leave you to decide whether that's a reward or a punishment. Tonight we'll be discussing flashbacks, flash heat and fast baths as well as the latest update to the Red Dwarf game, some unexpected DVD news, and a look ahead to tomorrow slash next week's episode, Give and Take. Four-fifths of the G&T team are with you tonight, so a further get well soon to the other fifth. I'm Ian Symes, and I'm with Tanya Jones. Hello. And the disembodied voices of Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And uh, we're also joined by Joe Sharples of the official Red Dwarf fan club. Hello. And various members of our family who happened to pop around to watch the show and didn't leave quickly enough. Uh, if you're listening live, then please do get involved. You can leave us a comment on the Let's Talk About Samsara on Dave thread at Ganymede.tv if you can find the room because of how ram-packed that uh, comments thread is. Or you can uh, tweet us at Ganymede Titan or leave a comment on the Spreaker page. But first, uh, let's all give our brief thoughts on Samsara as a whole, uh, starting with Tanya. Uh, nice idea. Um, confusing execution. Yes. Uh, Kepsi? Uh, I think um, an, an episode has never been as split between shit and good as this, as this one. <laughs> Danny? Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I just think it sort of tails off towards the end. Joe? Yeah, same really. Um, I think there was a lot of potential there, and then it just fizzled out. Yeah, well, personally, I thought it started well and fell apart. All the <laughs> stuff about the crew getting into trouble, that was great. Then the cat and Lister started talking for ages, and I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> you kept that one under your hat. <laughs> well, I was going to start my review with that, but I think um, Chris Carter tweeted something similar after I'd already thought of it, but um, yeah. Chris Carter stopped me from doing so. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, let's go through the uh, the talking points uh, from this episode, shall we? Which um, Capsi set for us last Friday. Uh, number one, a beautiful opening, uh, which is something that Capsi is always a fan of. Uh, so yeah, uh, talk us through that, Capsi. What do, what you made of the opening? model well, sequences first of all i did try and fit as many sexual references or puns into that article as possible as expected. but yeah the opening is i mean it's one of my favorite this might be hyperbole but it is one of my favorite kind of model sequences that the show's done simply because it's it's fairly um atypical compared to some of the other good model sequences and it's just beautiful and atmospheric and um, very artfully done 
lots of long distance shots to kind of maybe hide certain like uh, limitations they yes. had, but just it just came together really nicely, and the music was brilliant. I'm not sure if that's a good old. Danny might have a better perspective than me on that, but it sounds like it was especially done. Mm, it did sound like good old. There's definitely some uh, reused cues from previous series again in this episode. Yeah, did I spot um, sirens? The, the spaceship I graveyard. I think so. There's stuff. definitely something that's been used on a DVD menu more prominent right. than <laughs> the episode used on this episode, especially when they go back to the flashbacks, when they go back to, you know, then Samsara, you know, to, yeah, when they, they look at Samsara as it is now. Yeah. Mm. Um, I thought there was one little bit of the um, of the opening sequence. Uh, I didn't like the escape pod. It looked a bit... I couldn't tell whether it was a CG escape pod or whether it was just badly cut on. Two, two shots of it, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I think the first one's Dodge, but the second mm. one, I think, makes it clear that it is a model, to my eyes anyway. I've still only seen like the really low-res version. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think there was just something weird with the lighting or the compositing again, like we saw last week. Yeah. I think it's the hard lines on the on the compositing makes it feel like it's if it was a CG. Maybe that's the fault of it, the fact that it actually looks too clean, and maybe that's maybe. Sort of, it's it's this is downfall. The graininess of film maybe would have been welcome with these shots. Yeah, well, I think you can always tell when models are being are physically interacting with each other and when they're comped on top, and it's you know it's obvious that due to all the various restraints they have, it's it's easier to do it the way that they're doing it by, and you know, more cost-effective for them to do it this way. But sometimes you just, it doesn't feel, it feels like a Photoshop job rather than a, than a real thing. Yeah. But, but um, yeah. the direction of it like was, was spot on, I think. I think just, you know... The technical details of each individual shot aside, I think it was it was just put together really nicely, which I think is actually a running theme of these first two episodes in general. Like the individual parts might be problematic in places, but the actual tends to kind of come together quite nicely. Yeah. Well, um, Renegade Rob commented on GNT that the uh, he said. Obviously, the opening shots are gorgeous, but the music on top of that, going right into a badass shot of Red Dwarf with the eerie music still playing, gave me chills. Absolutely fantastic. So, that's what Capsie said just then as well, I've just realised. I stole his opinion. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, just to open up this discussion a little bit, um, this episode gave us a good look at um, a lot of visual elements of the show in general, because... Obviously, Twentica was mostly set outside of Red Dwarf, apart from one tiny scene at the end. So this was our first look at the bunk room and the science room. So thoughts, please. I've talked enough. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thoughts on the science room? Yeah. It's gorgeous. I really like it. Yes. I agree. Yep. (laughs) I think the contrast between the kind of the murkier setting of the of the bunk room and the clean brightness of the science room is really nice. Mm. I think it's probably quite deliberate, but it it really kind of um, sets the two two places apart really nicely. I think the the science room as well is possibly the first time that a room on Red Dwarf has looked remotely impressive. Like from if 
I was, you know, as like in the um, in the series is an impressive thing. I haven't explained that very well, but you know what I mean. It's like oh, yeah, I know. all I the actually, all the previous sets, like obviously, have looked great. All of Mel Bibby's sets looked great, but it's they don't look like <laughs> they're part of a high tech spaceship, and this this new science room really does. Yeah, and actually, nice to see really a real. There's very clearly a corridor outside. Yeah, and and actually, that's fairly uncommon. Like, um, no, normally, you know, each of the sets are kind of sectioned off a little bit, and there's maybe just well, there's nothing behind the door, but I believe there's an actual factual corridor set <clears throat> where the corridor would be, and you can kind of see that through the doors, and that's uh, it's a nice uh, it, it sense of place, I think. Good sense of place, yeah. There's a corridor up this, there's an actual corridor up the side of the science room and across the back as well. So, nice. um, I, I, it is interesting when you see the sets because they are, I think, are really good yeah. and are really good quality. And so, when you have props that are far less impressive, it is really odd. <laughs> and Suggest. such as the glow sticks. Oh. <laughs> um, because I looked at those glow sticks. Um, and I thought, oh, I've got one of those left over from uh, from a hen party <laughs> up in my bedroom. Look, there's a little hook, and oh, look at that! They look exactly the same. Yes. Um, and please expect yes. to see these at next dimension jump. Well, quite. Uh, and I was thought it would have, surely would not have taken long just to put a sticker on them or something, a ship sticker or. Put some plastic around them, some tape, something, <laughs> and a think almost, just to fool us that it could be just emergency lighting, because it would make sense to have that. That's not a problem. Uh, and I wonder you get a nice if um, that's the the stolen budget kind of um, creep creeping in a little bit, because because Twenty K gobbled up some extra budget from this episode apparently. According I know, to Doug. but I I feel it would have cost about a fiver cut. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Doug bought a car. He could have yeah. bought some emergency that's, lighting. That's, that's all I really. That's all I'm asking for. A fiver's worth of stickers. That, so maybe the Karma Drive gave them rubbish lighting. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, so, this Karma Drive is, is an interesting fellow. Well, uh, the lighting. Well, it's a good good thing you mentioned the lighting because I was about to move on to that. But Danny, you were about to say something. Uh, well, I mean, it's not uncommon for emergency lighting to be, like, glow sticks are used as emergency lighting, and I assume that, obviously, you know, in an emergency situation, you want to put as least amount of failure on that thing as possible, so, like, adding stuff that's superfluous to its to its, its use would be kind of silly. You don't need to have a branded glow stick for an emergency situation, it seems a bit unnecessary. It, but it seems very out of universe for it not to be. Well, the emergency glow point. stick is a thing that you can actually, they do actually have them in the army, so it doesn't seem out of place. It didn't seem out of place to me anyway. Um, well, I, I have to say, if you're going to go to the lengths of having a branded lager can, then I don't really see why you can't just put a sticker on a glow stick. A um, glow sticker, if you will. A glow sticker, if you will. <laughs> uh, but also, it, it seems re- it's just like really obvious, and and this is the future we're meant to be talking about. Well, you know, I mean, in in Red Dwarf time, it's three million years, but they're there on a spaceship. You know, <laughs> uh, it's very very obviously a time that's not our time. 
Andy Holland says, would a more impressive prop have diminished the funny image of normal glow sticks embedded in Skellington's mouth? No, it bloody wouldn't have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, it suck really, that, I'm Andy sorry, Holland. it really bloody annoyed me and actually spoilt the joke as far as I'm concerned. So, lighting in general. Um, there was, obviously, the um, the scenes with the glow sticks, etc., were deliberately dark because they were in an emergency situation mm. but um this was the first time where so i've always had slight reservations which i think i mentioned in my set reports initially uh about the style of um of lighting in series 11 and 12 because it looks brilliant like it obviously looks gorgeous it looks like we're watching a movie but that's a bit weird sometimes for an audience sitcom I think there's a disconnect uh, that's sort of getting in between me and the comedy because it looks like one thing and it feels like another thing. Mm. I think that's an interesting point. I, I do keep thinking that, especially when, during the really dark scenes, that Paul Montague would have been delighted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I know what you mean, Ian, because maybe it's it's the... The nature of the jokes don't necessarily suit a filmic. Mm. Yeah, the the script recording. seems to be going back to obviously it seems to be going back to um, more sort of classic audience based four guys in front of a audience type setup. And another chance to see this joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is in, it, it is interesting because the style the style of the visuals and the you know, obviously, the, the the sort of the style of the comedy, which is very sitcom, is it does kind of, in theory, put up against each other. But thinking about it, it's never kind of created a clash in my head. Like the only times that I've felt like um, there's something getting away in the um, getting in the way of the comedy of the show is when the comedy itself is getting stretched out so thin that I, you know want to scream like the the. The scene with the cat and Lister is very dark, lighting-wise, but it's also not very funny for huge portions. Well, and that's, that was the thing that kind of butted up against me rather than the setting. And well, actually, Lister's slapstick in the dark, in complete darkness, all being done with sound, I thought was really good. Well, we're going to get onto that with our next talking point. Uh, but uh, Sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, to finish on this one, Joe. Uh, well, I may I may be veering into yet another talking point. I'm oh, sure, God. but um, the lighting for me was fine. I thought it looked really good. While you were all talking about the lighting situation, I was just watching the end of quarantine, quarantine <laughs> and I was thinking, no, it, like it see for me, it kind of fits with that. Like it looked that the lighting, the way it's lit and stuff, matches up, and I'm quite happy with it. Well, the thing. As I say, the thing that bothered me about the episode that we watched tonight was the shaky camera. Yes, Cy Bromley's just mentioned that. Oh on, um, my god! It, yeah. On Spreaker as well. It it I kept it was so distracting. Mm. Even so in the bunk room scene yeah. at the start. Like I later on where they're like I don't know if it's trying to oh we're trying to show it's tense because we're we're discovering what's happening with Karma Drive so we've got this shaky cam. You can kind of explain that away, but when they're just in the bunk room playing Monopoly, I yeah. don't need the camera shaking everywhere. Mm. Like you could yeah. have a, yeah. you could just have a normal camera. That's mm. fine because it was really distracting. I think yeah, maybe your point about the lighting being similar to how it is in in series five, and um, 
insendable object made the same point as well on the uh, on the chat. Good old insendable object. I think maybe for me, then it's not so much the lighting as the fact that it's shot um, twenty five progressive rather than fifty interlaced. But that's a whole other conversation that's probably best for when John is uh, is back with us because he has things to say yeah. about that. Oh well, boy, does he. Thomas Evans just said, wasn't the shaky camera meant to echo marooned? To which I'd probably say that any instances of shaky camera in marooned wasn't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Most likely. Um, yeah, I mean, it was handheld, but it doesn't mean that it, it handheld doesn't mean, yeah, let's make it shaky. No, it's, like, no. it's about the movement and, the, you know... The, the angles rather than rather than the fact that it's shaking all over the place. <laughs> I went to the I went to the audience of this one and I wonder how much of the the sort of steady cam work was down to the fact that the shoot was more complicated than usual and they needed certain cameras to be locked in certain positions ready to go. So that because the thing is we were there, I think when the set report, I think we were there the longest out of all of the eleven run. Yeah. So even with that set up the way it was it still took the longest. So I think it was a production uh, a reason as to why some of it is done in steady cam. Because they couldn't because get enough the, peds in there, basically. Yeah, so they can set up other cameras ready to go on the other set <clears> while they're doing other things. Because there's a lot of different areas and setups for this episode. There's at least sort of four or five different locations that were shot in front of the audience, for one. Yeah, well, tell me, because uh, now we can talk about it openly because it's been on the telly, I've been wondering um, how much of it was pre-recorded, how much of it was on VT, like all the flashbacks, etc. I think all the flashback, obviously all the flashback stuff was done um uh, VT. Yeah. Um, and we didn't see any model shots, so that was, stuff wasn't... We didn't see any... I don't think we even saw any, um, any sort of previs or any sort of storyboard stuff. Right. Um, I don't. I think the majority of that episode was done in in front. I think it was everything that wasn't the flashbacks was done in front of audience. Well, where, I'm pretty sure. Where was the <laughs> set? The Samsara set, the canteen and the corridors. Um, and that. So that's the one that was. That, that's the one that took up part of the audience. Right. On the right hand side. So going from left to right, it was a science room. And then the corridor, then the main set, and then Starbuck was in the back right-hand corner, and yeah. then in the sort of front right-hand corner was the Samsara set. That's where Lister and Cat mainly did all their stuff. And there was also a little corridor that went around the corner that where River and Crichton did their thing as well. Well, yeah, so a good chunk of the episode, like a, a higher proportion than normal shot in front of the audience, that's probably why it took so long. Yeah. Wasn't that the episode that had the fire alarm as well? This yes, it was. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we why did they lose half an hour there? Maybe it wasn't that much of a late start for us, I don't think, but it was definitely a long shoot for them. Interesting. Yeah. You that one, Joe? No, they do this... have that kind of split camera stuff, don't they? Where like maybe one or two of them aren't in action, like yeah. finishing up the scene and getting set up on another one. So yeah, they might. They kind of like a yeah, like a sort of a rugged start thing. Yeah. Interesting. But I tell you what they did. Actually did. I'm pretty. I actually, if I remember rightly, I think they did one of them transitions from old, from flashback to set. I'm pretty sure one of them was done in front of the audience. I was going to say. So if you were watching the scene live, um, and then and then it was meant to go straight to a flashback, did they kind of play that out for you, like and immediately give you that VT? I think definitely when they did, went from flashback to as it looks now, with the, with it all being dejected and all the skeletons in the room and stuff. I'm pretty sure that shot was done. As a mix, as a vision nice. for us, and I think that was that because I was—I remember being really impressed about that. 
Cool. Right. Uh, talking point two, shall we? Uh, the return of Bunkroom Bants. Capsi, you're responsible for the word Bants appearing on our website. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this I mean, is obviously I about... I blame Dave. You know, yeah. Dave has infected me with uh, anti banter Well, they are the home of witty banter, lest, not, well, lest yeah. we forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was... Um, I really like the scene. I really like the Bunkroom scene. Like... Um, it kind of follows on from a kind of a realization that I made with Twentico, which is I'm not fully on board with the finer details of how Chris plays Rimmer now, or like maybe maybe some of the differences over the years, maybe the same with Lister as well. But this is the first time where it's kind of felt like I I believe they're changing character and, and, and kind of the, the subtleties, even if I don't quite like it as much as I used to. And, Again, they just seemed very, I don't know, very sort of comfortable in the roles and there was a really good, really good back and forth. And just something something just really funny about the simplicity of I can I can move my lips when I read. Like the the fact that the Rimmer would have been so irritated that he moves his lips while he reads. He's not <laughs> even making a noise. <laughs> I th- um, yeah. It's just very strong very strong character stuff I think I think Chris is on better form in 11 than he he was in 10 not that he was bad in 10 by any stretch but he seems to have got an extra little an extra little thing back on top of of what he had in 11 they're unavoidably different like they are the same characters they're they're written the same and and they're they're played they're believably these characters but over the years like real actual people they've changed a little bit yeah of course and Rimmer's a little little more kind of expressive and shouty at times and that those are the bits that rub up against me but having said that that's all kind of that all feels like part of a deliberate thing of his character the way he's kind of moved on a little bit on you know the way he's developed yeah and uh, that I explain that very well but the extra sort of shoutiness um was only a very small part of that bunk room scene and yeah. i think it was handled a lot more naturally than the moments where that happened in series 10. it was yeah it was a lot smoother and it felt a lot more natural mm. conversely i i feel that I, i'm kind of sad that a bit of nuance seems to be taken away from rimmer um because um because he's, I, I I don't know. I feel like he he sort of he he isn't wholeheartedly committed to anything he says. Mm. Um, and it feels like he said this line because this is what Rimmer's meant to be like. But it there doesn't seem to be a real. I, I'm not. I'm not particularly convinced he's he's that bothered. Right. I, I'm not. I'm not convinced that Rimmer's can be asked to be Rimmer. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um. I've. I kind of would would like to see a little bit more. But I. 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 I think the problem with the band stuff is that you're not getting a lot of character stuff to back it up, and. You, uh, well, uh, I, I should have me, <laughs> I'm the one with the opinion, uh, but I'd, yeah, I'd, I feel like I'm, I'm, they they are just sort of 
going into a, a kind of bants that you get you know uh, mainly blokes doing actually when you know they work colleagues or whatever and there's a sort of parts being played but there's you yeah. know not a lot of commitment behind it. yeah i i completely see your point but i disagree i think <laughs> that has been certainly been the case in other red dwarf um just any any scene in that prison bunk room <laughs> that was definitely the case where they were just having mm. having blokey bants that wasn't particularly in character i think the same is true of the opening of back to earth and also of certain bits in series 10 moves move etc but i think this particular scene at the start of samsara i was and we because we, we'd saw, we'd seen various bits of this scene in in trailers and in facebook clips and whatnot and I could tell just from those clips that it, it, it just felt proper. It felt like proper Rimmer and Lister. And as Capsie was saying, that they've developed over the years. I think they, they're they more friendly than they they have been before, but they still have these little things that drive each other nuts. And they yeah, can still I wonder if it almost feels like if I was to, to kind of justify the slight differences in acting in universe it's almost like when when they're in full flow together and winding each other up that they're almost putting it on to some extent does that make sense like maybe chris feels like he's maybe putting it on a bit because the character's putting it on like they're, they're, they're trying to keep up this energy when when really they probably you know they're getting old and they can't really be bothered well that, that's pretty much supporting my point of view capsi <laughs> No, that's uh, yeah. That's what's what made me think think along those lines. Um, that's you know, I it, uh, what we have is what we have. Um, I'm 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 just I would like more. Some people wouldn't, but there we go. I think, I, I'm not in charge. <laughs> I think like I like the monopoly the monopoly monopoly scene, but from the moment that Rimmer flounced onto his bed, which I thought was hilarious, and the, the whole kind of actual bunk conversation I, yeah. I liked every every line in the in the bunk conversation that i mean it's a shame that <clears throat> the trailerization kind of effect took, took hold trailerization trailerization <laughs> but that's no that's not the fault of any of the jokes I, no. I i thought that actually unusually that was a scene that just comedically got stronger as it went along even though it was quite long um whereas the opposite happens later <laughs> in the episode well, um, yeah, we have a comment uh, about not only this, but the jokes later on in the episode. Uh, Glenn Tokyo says, The jokes were properly amusing. The whole Cat and Lister conversation was fantastic. Although, unless Lister has done an open university course we don't know about, he's a lot more knowledgeable than we're used to. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, moving on uh, to the Lister and Cat scene, the big Lister and Cat scene. It felt like, obviously... We're, this is a lower budget episode. Let's have a conversation between two characters in a confined space, and because that's what happens in Red Dwarf. But it was a bit rubbish, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, yeah, this this uh, it kind of irritated me as well because it, I wasn't getting much out of it, and I also felt well, you, you're kind of wasting a lot of time on this when actually you could be maybe going back to your flashbacks and perhaps setting up the karma drive a little more mm. and actually explaining why um 
Green doesn't know there's a karma driving operation on a ship that he's working on that he's meant to be abiding <laughs> by, and yet well, Green has signed the agreement felt, saying... felt like he's number two, like in the first scene, where the, he's stood there with the captain. You're jumping ahead. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's it. What were you saying, Capsie, about the length of that Catlister scene? Before um, we were on air. Too, oh, oh, right, off air. Yeah, I, well, I was watching it briefly before the um, uh, before we started recording, and I decided to go for a cigarette at the start of that scene. I then got a drink, and then forgot that I needed another drink. Got that as well. Came back, and it was about a couple of minutes until it until the end of it. It was still going. <laughs> Uh, Andy Hollins says it could have done with some severely aggressive editing. Uh, Cy Bromley says a few sentences could have gone. <laughs> I, I'd say more than a few. <laughs> but, yeah. that, but every single shot, those fucking glow sticks were just staring me in the face. It just made me <laughs> so mad. Mm, well, I, I feel you, Capsie. It was making me mad. <laughs> don't, don't feel, Capsie. <laughs> I think, I mean, it, it's, it's a scene, really, that is... Almost the the opposite of the bunk room scene, where I I honestly thought it's, it starts really strong. I like the one arm bandit stuff mm. and the lights going out, the, the dialogue. Um, I it was Joey on our chat that mentioned foot and eye disease was was good, and the talk of evolution all really funny. The pitch black slapstick, great, and then it just kind of falls flat on his face when when Lister and the cat were just sat down and having their back and forth. Yeah, um, I mean, I said it in the review. I went on in quite probably too much detail in the written review about the fact that some of the the dialogue in that longer scene was absolutely fine, absolutely serviceable comedy sketch dialogue. It just didn't feel to me like Lister and Cat were having that conversation. It just felt like two people. And I've got no problem with Lister, you know, being reasonably well educated, knowing who Isaac Newton is, knowing who Archimedes is, or Julius Caesar. But the inventor of the magic marker yeah. is not is not a general. However, however. I, I have a, a head cannon for this. <laughs> so last week they all spent time in a place where science was banned. Mm. Lister has nothing to do with his time, and I assume Wikipedia still exists, <laughs> so, or something of that ilk. So he got stuck in a wiki hole about scientists, and that's how he knows about science. And if only, if only these, were, these episodes were shot in order, and Doug had somehow seeded in in meeting uh, the inventor of the magic marker in Twentica. No one needs harbor. to know that. That's fine. And uh, something to do with Formica as well. <laughs> he knows See, exactly I, what Formica is. So we mentioned uh, the theory that, that when Lister was, um, as part of the, the, the arc for 10, where Lister was going for the uh, engine, the robotics course and all that kind of thing, Yeah. he obviously was reading the, the Shakespeare book and stuff. He's always kind of reading stuff in season 10. So I think that, yeah, I think that he just is deciding to just read up on stuff. Like the, the book that Jesus discovers is all, you know, all that stuff. It's like the, the history of the world. And I think that that's where he's getting all his information from. Absolutely. It's com- a bit of a stretch in terms of yeah. like someone beginning with R who was a scientist. It's I like completely... There's someone else you could have got that was more of an... But it's, that made more magic marker jokes, but that was a bit weird. Uh, it's it's a bit of a shame, really, that we don't see Lister acquiring this knowledge. You could make a joke about, we well, could have how you can have a scene with him doing that sort of thing. Well, we did several scenes in series ten, 
yeah. like him talking to. It usually led to some terrible jokes and serious tension. <laughs> 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 oh, we can't have that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm completely on board with him doing this, learning in his spare time and and reading up on Earth history and important figures. But like Danny says, I don't think that extends to the inventor of the magic marker. <laughs> But this is what happens when you get stuck in a wiki. That's hole. true. You, know, you could have ended up there. I meant to have looked up in the intervening week, but I haven't. If there is anything like genuinely <laughs> astonishing about this Rosenthal fella, <laughs> someone look that up for us and let us know in the comments if there's anything. <laughs> He's like... a good uh, F1 presenter. I know that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a frustrating scene as well because just after that, um, uh, just after that point, the cats spiel about. Being hit on the head, what the hell was it? With a bath. Hit on the head with a with a bath, um, shouting for Mike and inventing gravy. That line is funny. That 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 got a laugh out of me. But then Jesus, that that joke, then kind of fills the next what feels like two or three minutes. And, and I it's think like it's series eight over explaining in turbo mode, basically. I think it's quite well performed by Craig and Danny as well. I think it is. Yeah. I think that that's the thing. I think the writing is mostly good. I think the performances are mostly good. It just didn't feel like Lister and Cat to me. But yeah, the way that Danny delivered the lines about gravy and everyone loves gravy, right? Then yeah, it's good. Uh, it's just whether he's it. By the way, Sidney Rosenthal. I'll quote you from his Wikipedia entry. Uh, okay. Sidney Rosenthal, 1907 to 1979, from Richmond Hill, New York, is credited with inventing what is now known as a magic marker in 1953. End of Wikipedia page. That is his entire Wikipedia page. Attention needed. I thought you were going to say there was a second... um... A second paragraph for saying he, he was mentioned in popular British uh, sci-fi uh, get, comedy. Get to it, people. <laughs> get to it. <laughs> and, and Lister managed to, to grab hold of that fact. And, yeah. And well, he back. is. Yeah, he is accessing Wikipedia in three million years' time. It may mm. have well have been updated by then. <laughs> or maybe not. Or maybe not. <laughs> it just plugs right into your brain. Yeah. <laughs> in last human, it is. Oh, the encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's vastly irrelevant. So, <laughs> shall we move on to talking point three, entitled "Meet the Fuckers." Uh, so, yeah, the guest stars: the main two, Dan Tetzel and Maggie Service. Maggie Service. Uh, what did we think of them? They were fine. They were refreshingly <laughs> normal. Normal, yeah. Quite yeah. naturalistic. There's, there's naturalistic. Well, they weren't um, particularly uh, conventionally attractive necessarily. Yeah. yeah, I think is what's. I they're not probably... like sexy space adventurers. They're not, you know, like you know, they couldn't have. They wouldn't have ended up on hol- on the uh, Enlightenment or anything like that, you know. Yeah, exactly. They weren't modern material, and that's fine. That's really good. Um, I'd shag Dan Tetzel. Well, there you go. It's, you know, I, I would. I would also consider it. <laughs> That's not the point. Um, no, but uh, it's yeah. Uh, it, it's a shame in some ways. I I didn't really like their performances that much. I didn't find myself particularly interested in their story. Mm. Um, but also, but I think that's partly because we weren't given enough for us to sort of hang on to um and there was no yeah there was there's nothing there really there was there's an awful lot of 
oh, well, these two are having an affair, you know, like, okay, but we don't really know very much about them, what they're doing there, or, you know, it all kind of all seemed quite rushed and like, oh, they're dead now, right, okay, fine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they seem to be being used to make a really profound point, but not very well. Yes. Uh, yeah. They were really brazen as well. <laughs> They're really brazen. Actually, that's, that's one thing I meant to raise. Um, if, if him sitting there with a bunch of flowers, and I thought, hang on a minute, you, you're, you're having an affair, but you're meant to be keeping a secret. Yeah. Who? Why are you sitting there with a bunch of flowers for her in full view in a in a in a mess room, whatever it is. Yeah. And then the, when they first meet up, like they're in a crowded room, and they go, "Right, should we go to my room?" Yeah. 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 Well, what he actually says in that is, "Let's go to my quarters with a D instead of a T," and it's slightly nauseating, but I think deliberate. It's like Dan Tetzel is good at playing a, a sleaze ball. Mm. He can do that. He's got mm. that in his locker. Yes. Uh, the the captain was a bit crap, I thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, then again, he, he had hardly any lines. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, he did but not an awful lot he, yeah, there, there wasn't an awful lot of. He's yeah. meant to be outraged. It's, it's definitely a difficult one, isn't it? Because he's meant to be morally outraged as well. And it's, I imagine it's a bit difficult for an actor because he hasn't got a lot of runway up to it. There's sort of one conversation, no, another conversation where he's meant to be telling two people off for shagging. And, mm. I didn't, mm. I didn't mind him, but then that whole bit, like, I really liked the 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 flashbacks. I thought it was, it was a nice mm. touch. I quite like that, and especially yeah. like the. The, I thought it looked really good when they mm. sort of walked into the room and it like slid across into the past and yes. Yes. the fading back yes. into the present and stuff. I really liked all of that stuff. I just mm-hmm. felt that they didn't particularly have any chemistry. We didn't have time to like them enough to care mm. when bad things happened to them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like we didn't have enough <coughs> contrast between what the normal captain was like to when he was angry. Yes, there wasn't much. Yeah, there really wasn't much difference there. Um, so you know, you so I feel yeah, you then you're watching. And you think, well, I'm not getting any kind of jeopardy. I think was there's mm. a real absence of jeopardy. You knew something terrible had happened, but um, for them, there wasn't. You know, life was a bit unpleasant. Yeah. And then you got told off. It was a. Uh, there wasn't an exploration of what it meant to their what the end game would be for them if they carried on yeah yeah although the the flashback structure in general i liked the idea of uh, i think towards the end of the episode you'd perhaps it gets in the way you don't need both. You don't need both the flashbacks yeah. and Crichton explaining everything. Yeah, you're told twice. What you're told happens, twice what's going on, and, and three times in some cases. <laughs> but overall, having the flashbacks there and cutting in between them in the middle of an episode, I thought was really nice because it's unusual and it's something that hasn't been done. It's a new way of telling a Red Dwarf story after eleven years. Mm. So fair play <clears throat> on that point. Um, it's not often the Red Dwarf surprises you. And actually, just very quickly going back to like the captain, the the guy who played the captain, not having much time to kind of establish any authority or really get himself across. It really does make you realise how good Mac McDonald was in the end. Yeah, yeah, I love Mac. 
yeah. with almost as much screen time, really. Like he barely had any, and yeah, he was. Well, Mac, he was really good. Mac does fill the screen whenever he's. Whenever <laughs> oh. Not so much in the eighties. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, but, but yeah, there's there's a definitely a, a presence. He's got presence. <laughs> that guy didn't have the presence, did he? Really, he was mm. just some guy. Uh, Eddie Bagayawa by his name, um, but is his name by the way? Just so that's on record that we hate him. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Eddie. No, we, we don't. We don't hate him. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> um, Taiwan Tony said, not the real Taiwan Tony, I assume. Uh, the commenter Taiwan Tony says it was definitely an interesting way to tell the story rather than in one big lump at the beginning end or just by Crichton telling it. It felt dramatic in a way that Twentica didn't. Uh, which I disagree because I thought Twentico was dramatic, but yeah, mm. it was it was a different way to tell a story. It was it was different. I um I think it's I I think Doug ran into quite a bit of trouble because possibly it is a new way of approaching it. Um, and it didn't quite get followed through. It didn't. Well, that's the thing. It was um so this episode was originally entitled Lift Off, and it was going to be Lister and Cat stuck in a lift, and then they. Just you know, standard cheap episode thing. They get stuck mm. in a lift. They have chats, uh, and then at some point in the script editing stage, an extra extra elements get got added. Presumably, we'll learn a lot more about this at some point in the future. But based on a few tweets so far, um, more things got added in the script editing stage that made it more of a of a, a dwarfy episode rather than just a, a people chatting trapped in a lift episode and so I assume that as well as the karma drive possibly the flashbacks were maybe added at that point as a way of of doing something different with the narrative yeah maybe to fill fill the time out a little bit as well yeah. considering how, how much crossover the purpose of those scenes and the purpose of Crichton exposition kind of yeah, so each other towards the end as well. So I um, guess what I'd what I'd like is for Doug to do an episode that has that kind of non-linear narrative device in it, but to do it from beginning, middle to end, and have a whole episode where there's something funny about the narrative, you know, like yeah. Futurama does frequently, and you know, Arrested Development or whatever. But basically, I want I want Red Dwarf to be more like other sitcoms that I like. <laughs> it's really interesting that we've. I mean, it's pretty clear that we've had our bottle episode. Yeah. Already, because it was filmed fifth. It was originally yeah. fifth conceived as being a bottle was episode, it, and was it, it turned out to be a bottle. So, very interesting to put that second. Yeah. Probably bold as well. Like, they must have been really pleased with how it came out. But then, there is a lot of love for this episode. Tons yeah. of people online are saying that this is the best episode since... Of the Dave era, um, Seb Patrick of RedDwarf.co.uk fame said Who? the same thing. Some prick. That guy. Scouse. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that Andrew Ellard? <laughs> he wishes he was. He really wishes he was. But yeah, he says that it's it's one of the best episodes. It's one of his favourite episodes of the new batch. But then he also really liked Dear Dave. So. Yeah. <laughs> I find that fascinating, though, and I actually find it really heartening that this is the this is the first time that you know. I mean, I I really enjoy fifteen minutes of this episode. But yeah. On the whole, I'm gonna I'm gonna look back on it as like one that I'm probably not not gonna be that fussed about rewatching and only rewatch when we do commentaries and things. But um, but the fact that other people really like it instead of making me angry, like <laughs> you know, people liking Cassandra or something like that, I'm just yeah. thinking, why, why? <laughs> 
quite <laughs> you can see where people are coming from here and actually it's quite a nice thought that there's this split and it's not an acrimonious split between people that think Lister saying slag is good or bad. Yeah. It's it's just a it's a nice yeah it's, it's a nice bit of controversy about this episode or disagreements. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's good that yeah when episodes don't contain anything <laughs> offensive or to make you angry, it's good that people disagree and it's good um, that it's someone's favourite. I do find it interesting though that I think the people who love possibly like it the most are the ones who come out with uh, quite a lot of um, explanation for things in it. Explanation for jokes, explanation for I think, why yeah. people know this, explanation yeah. for all Everyone that. Everyone has their tolerance now, levels for now, that, I think. And that's fine, yeah, that's fine if you want to go down that route, but what it tells me, um, grouchy cow in the corner here, <laughs> is that Doug's not done enough to explain the narrative in the episode, because surely... I mean, you can go back and refer to stuff because of, of what Red Dwarf is, but each episode needs to make sense in itself. And mm. for me, this episode didn't make sense um, narratively. I I kept I I think I watched it twice. I was confused both times. Then the third time I watched it through uh, just now, or um, or an hour ago, in fact. But <laughs> so, uh, but. All through, I just like there's there's no there's no explanation there's there's no explanation for the characters the 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 main characters to come to the conclusion and you end up with Kryson himself going oh best guess they had an affair and I thought that yeah. is one hell of a conclusion to <laughs> jump to yeah. that's the second I mean, episode in a row where Kryson does come up with a bit of a leap. And um, he's been correct every time, but we yeah, but yeah. like he shouldn't be. <laughs> there is no logic that he follows. I think a lot of my problems with the the very end of the episode is, or, or thinking back on it, is how wildly inconsistent the punishments of the justice, uh, the karma drive, are, <laughs> and and how they don't particularly kind well. Of, hold they're not that. like the justice computer. The justice computer is. The, is an example of perfect balance. Well, stop, like, stop jumping ahead because <laughs> now I will. <laughs> let's introduce the the talking point number four. Just is. <laughs> so the karma drive. Carry on. Um, <laughs> so the karma drive yes. was really inconsistent with its with its kind of um, with its punishments, and maybe Some, that's yeah. its nature, and it wasn't explained very well. But justice was. Sometimes like it was like the scales of justice, but karma. I guess, yeah, okay. The justice machine was like the scales of justice, and karma's just a bitch. <laughs> well, sometimes um, Crichton said when Rimmer asked how the karma drive worked, uh, how could it reward or punish? Uh, Crichton was listing things like the showers are the right temperature, your food tastes good, the aircon is right, etc. Those are things that can be controlled by the ship. Um, yeah. as are the robot dentist knocking out your man's teeth and her getting an awful makeover from the robo-stylist or whatever. But then also the Cartman Drive seemed to affect reality in the same way that the Justice Field did. And so stick to one or the other. Yes. Yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm, I'm happy for both of those things to be the case. I'd just rather it was consistent. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not consistent. Um, yeah, which was another thing I'd... I, I I found 
the karma drive to be really badly explained. It was seemed quite. Uh, I said I didn't really understand why um, Green didn't know that he was on a ship with a karma drive, apparently, mm. and then embarking because she had to have the transfer onto the ship and presumably signed. Uh, well, actually, I think the captain says you signed something or other. Yeah. Saying that, and I was like, what happened with Green? But <laughs> well, maybe it's part of the whole people don't read contracts before they sign them. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, um, maybe. but you, you'd think, you know, someone... Check the terms and conditions. I terms agree, or, I or, agree. Or, or someone even... Or, well, you know, you think he'd realised by now. <laughs> but yeah, well, maybe he's not done anything wrong until she came along because she's an <laughs> evil woman. Women are Could evil. Be. Could Could be. Be. Temptation. <laughs> Maybe but there's then, something to be said for the fact she reprograms it, and it's maybe it wasn't as simple as just she flicked a switch because clearly the camera drive wasn't intended to work with that twisted logic. It, oh, is, okay. it, you know, it's meant, it can be tweaked based on morality, but it's it's but at its core. I took it to be so, still kind of roughly following morals as people generally know them. So but only maybe she fucked it up so badly that the punishments became like all out of whack because. Before someone did something bad, that you know they would get their teeth knocked out a little bit, or have you know that bad back. <laughs> that, that's a bad thing. <laughs> and then people, then people doing something good get flash heated to death. You know? Yeah. So yeah, um, it was only after Barker had fiddled with it that it started affecting reality. So she basically um, killed everyone. Yeah. Not yeah, really, yeah, because because um, Tiny Andrew Collins got a bad back. <laughs> yes, that's true. And that's affecting reality. Yeah, the herniated disc. But then that could be caused, you know, the, the, some, it could have been kicked in the night. Or <laughs> oh, they did say the that they'd had, they had extramarital sex 18 times. And we don't know what period of time that was, no. so maybe that was what damaged his back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, as well as, obviously, justice. Um yeah, Justice. Sorry, someone requested on GNT that I say justice in that voice, so I've now done it four times. <laughs> um, Dax108 says, I didn't mind that the Karma Drive was made by the same sort of science as Justice World, but just don't make a habit of it, Doug. Uh, we already had the Joy Squid as an alternative to the Despair Squid, and that is really when the show starts to feel like it's out of ideas. And I, I didn't really have a problem with Justice, as I said in the review, um, with Justice being reused, because... It it's not like there's there's certain things in Red Dwarf that they keep going back to um alternate personalities time travel programmable viruses things like that and you think yeah we, we we've had this episode but Justice was a one off and it's twenty one years later let's have another crack at it I don't see the problem yeah it's, it's an interesting enough concept I yeah. think um it's just it's a bit of a tricky one to be treated the way that it's been treated in this episode. I think it needs a little bit more setup. It needed just a bit more explanation. Um, and it needed... You needed a, a good reason why Barker, if she did screw it up, screwed it up so badly that they, her and Green, felt the only way they could resolve things for themselves was to put themselves in stasis for years when they were meant to mm. be wanting to be together which for me if i was doing something like that um the the 
object would be to be with my loved one, you know, conscious and, and, yeah. and in real time, not but in there stasis. But the, the reason they went into stasis was to protect themselves from the karma field. They had to do that. There wasn't enough explanation of, of what was happening there, why they did it. Well, um, it was Crichton's conjecture, as we previously well, discussed. Well, exactly, exactly. Crichton has guessed this, this that this is, was this the case, the... but it was made clear. It was, well, I mean, it was kind of... The the unclearness of it was made clear, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, um... I think for me, it was made very clear because they explained it twice, <laughs> which is unnecessary. <laughs> At least twice. So, um, just quickly, because we, we, we really have been going on, um, uh, as well as the justice thing, uh, there were several other sort of nods, intentional or otherwise, to other episodes uh, that people have said. Um, obviously, there's the skeletons reminding people of Crichton. Um, sneezing away, the vital thing, was reminiscent of DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, the... Uh, there's a bit... Hold on, I'm just consulting my notes. There's a bit where um, Rimmer says, we're in big trouble when <laughs> when Crichton says we have to be nice to each other, and that is word for word what he says in Inquisitor, when he's made aware that the Inquisitor <laughs> has come. Um, the bing-bong machine reminded me a lot of Holly in Remastered, <laughs> for better or worse. And the, the very thing with uh, the distress call from the escape pod getting cut off uh her saying you've got to and then it being cut off usa pilot that is a joke from the usa pilot where they get um visited by lister kachansky rimmer and cap from the future and say this is vitally important you got it and then it cuts off so there you go um so the final Speaking talking from the best. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the only Crichton reference in some characters because there's a bit when 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 River actually goes, oh, delighted to meet you, and then he looks round and then sees that the, yes. they're dead. Oh, they're yes. dead. The exactly. So the Crichton again on that one. So yeah. Uh, so the final talking point is: is it shit or is it good? And <laughs> I think that's a complicated one this week. Um, so I'll let um, Jim Boyd um, summed it up by saying yes. Both. <laughs> but, both, but mainly shit. Uh, a few good bits, but the structure was a mess. Felt like the third act was missing entirely. The end credits were heralded by a cry of what the fuck in my house, and for a split second I wondered if we were getting a two-parter. We'd had this great concept established, and then it was just abandoned. And Jim Boyd pretty much summed up my thoughts there. Yeah. yeah. It does just end, doesn't it? Much like this discussion. So... <laughs> Moving on. That's what we think. Uh, but if you think we're talking shit, then please do tell us. Uh, leave us a comment on GNT, tweet us at Ganymede Titan, or join in the discussion here on Spreaker. Still to come tonight, we'll be talking about the Red Dwarf game, the Series 11 DVD, and previewing Give and Take. But first, if you want to know a little more about the making of tonight's show, uh, then take a listen to these little-known facts all about Samsara. Ganymede and Titan presents Dwarf Facts. The original title for this episode was Lift Off and would have featured Lister and Cat participating in competitive weightlifting. Samsara is nothing more than a standard sci-fi sounding word. The new science room set contains props originally used in the film Mrs Brown's Boys, The Movie. 
During the recording of the Cat and Lister scenes, director of photography Ed Moore realised he'd forgotten to bring any lights. Doug hastily inserted some dialogue about a power cut, and a runner was dispatched to find some glow sticks in order for the scene to continue. Most of Green's dialogue was removed in the edit, after the actor insisted on improvising additions to his scripted lines on the night. One example was, Now, remind me, you were a computer scientist specialising in... Aside, I know who you are. I was pretending I didn't know you before. We are, in fact, shagging. Please let me be on Red Dwarf. I just want to be on Red Dwarf. Crichton punching Lister was not in the original script. Craig Charles had been making a few too many jokes about Robert being an old and middle-class bastard, and the recording had to be halted for several minutes as an emotional Llewellyn was calmed down. An extra final scene was recorded, but ultimately deleted in the edit. It involved Lister apologising for the abrupt and unsatisfactory conclusion to the story, pointing out that this kind of thing never happened in equivalent episodes of the original series, before falling down a big hole. Due to last-minute demands from the original Justice Computer's estate, Samsara almost had to be rewritten, so the ship instead contained a central computer derived from the old Taiwan Tony tech. Hashtag Dwarf Facts Dwarf Facts there. Uh, so, now it's time to have a look at what you lot reckon. Um... Here are a few of the comments we've received so far tonight. Uh, Paul Williams says, I don't understand why Rimmer wasn't the one to find the cards on Lister. It still would have been a shit end, but at least it would have made more sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, wasn't, yeah, it shouldn't have been Cat. Made no sense that Cat found them. Why, why, no. would, he, why would he care? No, that's true. Why does he care? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, quite, Why does he yeah. care that Lister's got cards on him? It doesn't make sense for him to mention it. Maybe he's been victim or has fallen victim to the same thing, but we don't know that. We haven't been shown that. Yeah, we haven't been shown, but presumably Cap also plays the game because that mm. can't be the first time they've ever played it. Yeah, mm, I think if Rimmer found it, it would make sense because we saw Rimmer and Lister playing. Where you know, it's just it, like Rimmer, Rimmer can now pick stuff up. So it's not like as if it was like, oh, he, he can't touch it. Uh, so it's a struggle, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of lot we haven't been shown that this episode seems to rely on. Yeah. Um, Clem says, I think it might be the fathers and sons of Eleven for me. Really liked a lot of it, so I can pretty much overlook my few niggles. I, I, think, that's a, mm, I think that's how I can see it as well. Uh, Jack Willett points out that the footage of Barker on the screen in the science room, the bit where she's in the escape pod, was from the scene where they are scolded by the captain, but with a choppy frame to disguise the, disguise the lack of lip sync. So he's saying that it was a voiceover from her that they've used, that they've reused footage over the top of. Which, oh, it right. did strike me as odd. A voiceover on set as well. Mm. So they actually used that same one. Interesting. Interesting. I thought there was something a bit disconnected about that, but mm. I thought it was just the choppiness rather than the fact that they've reused footage. Um, Abe has a theory uh, that Barker did a poor poor job at recoding the karma drive because she had been kind about the punishments that would have been a good thing itself, so she would have been punished herself. Yeah. What? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Curtis says on GNT, I like the Catlister scene, uh, but it does feel like something from a different episode, which it probably was given what we know about the rewriting process. Feels very much like a two guys stuck in a lift scene rather than a let's explore this sci-fi concept scene. I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah. John Hoare, I should read out his tweets because 
John Hoare uh, is the guy. <laughs> he wishes he was. He wishes he was. Um, so yeah, uh, John Hoare has been has dedicated his life pretty much to covering Red Dwarf on the internet for at least the last fourteen years. Um, being a really big advocate of the show, a really big fan, and so he has been rewarded uh, by. This new series coinciding with him being hospitalised and put in intensive care. So thanks, Karma Drive. Yeah. Uh, but he's on the mend and he's uh, he's listening in and tweeting along. And he says, "I think the ending was a slightly misjudged attempt to avoid a predictable tag scene any fucker could write." Uh, he also says, in relation to an earlier discussion, that he saw an, an episode of Hippies recorded where they did a time skip in front of the audience. Uh, you could see on the monitors them overlaying the two shots to make sure they would match. So that sounds like that's what happened uh, with the flashback transitions for the audience in this yeah. episode as well. Nice. Interesting. So, moving on slightly, we'll be returning to Samsara later, but first, uh, let's talk about Red Dwarf the Game. Uh, because yeah. it's had several... I think since we last spoke, it's had at least two completely fresh updates. It has, yeah. It's had, I mean, roughly speaking, it's had a... Minor fixes update. There was stuff like black screen on startup and things like that. Yeah. And then today, or last night more specifically, there was a giant rebalancing update. Last night on Android, this morning on iOS. Ha-ha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For once, we've, <laughs> had the, we've it got feels. it that way around. <laughs> because on Android, uh, developers can put updates out whenever they damn well please. And uh, yeah. on iOS, Apple need to pick through every last they, bit of it not that it, I right? am bitter <clears throat> um, so yeah so without uh, I'll, I'll just quickly I'll go through the, the list of changes as um, written by Ian Game Digits on our on our forum I mean his name is literally <laughs> um, Ian we do the let's talk about the game thread on the forum actually is a good place to go if you're bothered about the game because um, there's a lot of uh, like one-to-one support going on in there from the developers, which is uh, admirable. Yeah, and yeah, virtually unprecedented for a. I've never seen like a, a mobile game have this level of detail and this amount of care from the developers. Definitely. Yeah, I, I mean, mean they, I'm sure, I'm sure, have, I'm sure they, there are other developers know, that do they this. They but... know what the. Um, sorry, I just talked over you. That's fine. We're it, we're on Skype. It's problematic <laughs> uh, I was just saying, yeah I'm sure that there are other game developers that do this but this is my first experience of it and it's commendable it's brilliant it's quite common with with kind of PC games or bigger games yeah um, especially our indie games but yeah, I mean the, the game digits clearly know what fan base they're dealing with here yes. and actually and also seem to realize that they can tap into constructive criticism because there's a lot of it out there there's some not so constructive as well but Always the way. So they have um, major improvements to player characters, controls, and camera. Now, yes. this player characters and car controls kind of fall under the same thing. I yeah. imagine they're pretty similar code, but just run faster. The corners are much tighter, much easier to, to control, and it basically feels about as perfect as you can get that control system now. So that is a good that is a good update. The driving um, game... Added health pickups at critical places. This is something I mentioned in the video as well, as I really would have liked some health pickups. And they seem to have gone to a lot of effort to design very nice little green crosses that they scatter around the levels. Um, nice little particle effects, nice little sound effect when you collect them. 
I was worried that this might they might have ended up unbalancing the game a little bit the other way, so yes. it would end up just being a bit too trivial. You'd basically always be at full um, full health, but they seem to have very carefully placed things about um, about the place. Well, I think yeah, it has obviously it's made it easier, and that was the intention. Um, I wonder if for future uh, future updates, future episodes, a suggestion might be to have different difficulty levels because the way that the game was before was difficult, but it wasn't broken because I yeah. I'm not very good at games and I managed to complete it, but just through a lot of trial and error and a lot of you know a lot of patience. Um, so yeah, maybe we can have an easy mode and a difficult mode for future ones. That'll be interesting. I wonder if. Um... Because um, the scoring system seems to be very important to them. So yeah. in that thread, um, I think uh, Bezzy mentions that his smeg points, or space miles as they're called, these days. Uh, now, um, right have decreased after the update. And that's because they've removed a, a whole section from the ship scan, the first episode, the first mission. Yeah. And so any smeg points previously earned on that stage... Have been removed. Was automatically removed, which is an amazing piece of granularity that they had that information that you got these spec points on this particular stage of this mission. So there really seem to be like the, the leaderboards, which are only iOS. Yeah, but, and I'm um, number six, motherfuckers. So having two <laughs> difficulty levels would complicate that, I think, and may not Perhaps, even be yeah. possible. Fine. But Fine. It's a good point because it was it was doable before. It was. It was just yeah. It was. It was a pain in the ass to get through it, really. I think if yeah. it hadn't have been Red Dwarf, I would have quit, rage quit, and threw my iPad into a sink. I honestly think that if if they'd done one thing with this update, just just the the control improvements, yeah, for uh, for the sneaking and the um, and the driving, I think that that could have been argued to be enough because. Um, I mean, maybe the health pickup. Actually, the health pickups as well, because they they are really well balanced now. They they've clearly spent a lot of time working out exactly the the amount to put in there. Mm. And I think that, that it keeps the difficulty. I still died when I played through it again a few times, but That's it, you're there rubbish. was no frustration apart from the quiz, the damn quiz that just goes on too long and keeps giving you the same answer questions all the time. Yes. But that's by the by. Uh, <laughs> what I will say is that the driving levels previously in the last update were my absolute worst i hated the driving levels because you had to be so careful you had to creep through it and there were certain points where it felt unfair like you either had to go through it quickly and crash into the wall or go through it slowly and get killed by people shooting you now thanks to the improved handling and the uh the way that the corners work and the health pickups now absolutely my favorite bit of the game just I yeah. look, but what you can do, what the health pickups allow you to do, as long as you don't miss any health pickups, they allow you to basically just put your foot down, don't don't let off the accelerator at all, and just career through, smashing into barrels, smashing into exponoids, just having a lovely time. You're clearly meant to be running over the exponoids as well. Yeah. Like that was now that you was are. causing problems for yeah. people because they were losing too much health. But um, after this update, the health points, the health pickups were placed like right on top of the exponoids. Yeah. They were telling you, run these fuckers over. And get health at the same time, yeah. Which is great, and yeah, I love those driving levels now. Yeah, they're really good fun, especially since you just one swipe and you've turned 90 degrees, like you've you've done the turn. The corners, yeah, the corners before were were 
painful. But now, yeah, just hold your finger down and, and don't let yeah. go. Um, um, I, I didn't have much trouble with the Rimmer Escape um, mission, but that's also um, sort of benefited from the, the control improvements, which meant I could finally pick up the helmet that I missed on my uh, video playthrough. Yes. Because I couldn't, I couldn't turn sharp enough. Like, it, you still can't move backwards. You're still constantly moving forwards in some way. But yeah. It's but just, the, just yeah, a lot more control there. The layout of the obstacles on those levels has been improved as well, so it's less likely yeah. for you to get trapped behind a box or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, gaps that look like you should be able to sneak through, you can sneak through. And also the shooting. So when um, encounters in that in that mission, previously you would have to hit the exponoids with the first two opportunities you were given, literally the first two. Yeah. Otherwise they would start shooting you back. Now there's... Um, there's a grace period of maybe four opportunities. Yeah, a bit so you, more you kill them with four opportunities, two shots, then you're fine. So that's, again, that's much better balanced. So, yeah, so the next, well, we don't know. There may be more further uh, tweaks and improvements to be made to the 20 kill levels, but now we expect the next major update will be Samsara, uh, the yeah. Samsara episode, the Samsara levels, and that will be coming up in a few weeks' time. We don't know specifically, but at some point in the next few weeks. What do we reckon? Yeah. What do we reckon uh, we're going to see from Samsara? Um, Jonathan Young, aka John's Mad, uh, suggests that the black screen thing should be brought back in the game for the Samsara update to match that episode's lighting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, He's what, a funny man. He is. I love him. Uh, <laughs> what bits um, of, of uh, Samsara do you think we're going to see in the game? Some sort of button-mashing fellatio minigame. <laughs> please tell me there's a button-mashing minigame for committing adultery. <laughs> um, I would imagine we might... Well, you might get to be uh, Barker at some point and sabotage the um, the Karma Drive. Maybe see them escaping. Yeah, them escape. Maybe I was thinking as well a bit of um, it's basically the bits that you don't see happen in the episode, isn't it? That's what it was yeah. with Twentica. It's all the little gaps. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've just been distracted by uh, Joey Newsom just sending a comment saying orgy level, <laughs> which I, I assume is related to what our discussion, or you never know. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe the bit where. Cat and Crichton have to guide in the escape pod into Red Dwarf's um, landing bay, which we, we just see in a model shot. Maybe you can yeah. control that. Uh, I would but yeah, it, maybe just... place money on the fact that, because I was wondering about, okay, what minigames here are going to be reused for Samsara, if any? Uh, the Starbuck controls, I would almost I would put money on that yeah. returning in some form for them uh, docking with Samsara as well. So like more of an underwater navigation thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, or the, maybe that concept returning. And, and then if you start running out of time before you press the button, then water starts leaking through the hull or something. They've got to have Minopoly in there somewhere. I was going to say, oh, yeah. a few people are suggesting that online. I wonder whether... I'm not sure how it would work, but... Well, the yeah, they'd have to basically build a Monopoly based minigame and there might be some legal issues with that (laughs) (laughs) so maybe maybe not uh steven abootman suggests escape the ship by insulting the crew by yelling swear words into your phone (laughs) uh jonathan young uh again john's mad i was about to suggest this uh cat's one-armed bandit game so sort of um 
we don't see them getting off the ship, so maybe they well, came across Maybe there. that whole thing is being saved for the game. Maybe the ending of the episode is Maybe being... <laughs> the last game of, of the update will be you are Lister dressed up in an evening gown <laughs> and you have to play the polk party. Under bagpipes. <laughs> uh, that would be good. Paul Williams says it's a shame we didn't have the game when they were operating on Jesus's knob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could have been like Operation. Yeah, but, was... with, but with Jesus Christ, that would have been cock. amazing. Uh... You're the doctor. It's so much fun to play with Jesus's cock. <laughs> right. I think we've exhausted discussion of the game. One more thing about the game. Oh, go on then. Um, at time of speaking, it is half price. Oh yeah, both. it's ninety nine um, Google yes. Play and iOS stores, which is nice. Quite... I paid two pounds for it last week. Is it nice? <laughs> I'm quite annoyed by it. it. It's an interesting thing. I think it may be. It feels to me that like it's maybe a, a, a little bit of a goodwill thing because they seem to think that it's been really badly received. Yeah, I don't think it's awesome. been terribly received, and their response has been very well very well received, but I think putting it half price sale five days after the hardcore have spent £2 on it, and £2 is fine, it doesn't need to be reduced yeah. right now, £2 is absolutely fine reduce it when the series is over yeah, absolutely, but it's a bit soon it's too it? soon, and the thing is, I think I think that this is the thing. I was saying this before. It's like they have been brilliant. Like with all with all the feedback that they've received online, they've been great and they've responded to they've responded to individuals and then you've seen that in the updates that they're actually listening to what we're saying. Unfortunately, what they failed to realise is that some of the people who comment online are knobs. Yes. And these are the people yeah. who are going, this is our what, £1.99? You expect me to pay for something, do you? Well, why don't I get it for free? Yeah. And those are the people that you want to ignore. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, because, they're taking all yeah, feedback what's happened on a level. Is they've slightly, inadvertently, I'm sure, slapped everybody bought it last week in the face well yeah it's a little bit annoying because 199 is a reasonable price for the game we're getting that's the thing i've got no objections to paying two quid for that Uh, i would probably happily pay more it's just the fact that if i'd have waited five days i wouldn't have paid two quid yeah but you know we're getting six six more blocks of content presumably of similar sizes as well yeah this is this is it it's It's two it's two quid for a sixth of the game and what what is there already is pretty substantial and there's there's more to come it wasn't long ago that a particular <laughs> red dwarf fan bought the tongue-tied 12 inch lp off me for 60 pounds yeah like red dwarf fans should be fine absolutely fine with <laughs> two pounds for a game that is clearly clearly had a lot of, of work put into it it's clearly worth two pounds yeah Oh well. Sorry for laughing over your um, comment there, there, Capsi. Uh, soundable object made me laugh. <laughs> he said, "Game digits, well, game digits are no longer interested in the audience. One pound ninety-nine used to attract." <laughs> uh, okay. Why doesn't, why doesn't he bring out this sort of comedy on the garbage podcast? I don't understand. <laughs> well, he may do. It's just that no one's ever listened to it. So <laughs> yeah. we don't know. No, we're friends. Uh, okay, moving on to some news. Um, some news this week is that Doug Naylor has accidentally, on purpose, released the DVD cover uh, in a banter-related incident. 
I don't know. It was such a weird day on Twitter yesterday <laughs> with Danny John Jules probably like correctly taking offence to the fact that what he thought uh, was the case was that he'd been left off uh, the DVD cover. The fact that he was still angry about it after it had been explained to him that that's not the DVD cover. <laughs> that's by the by. We'll we'll let that go. But um, but yeah, it culminated with a bit of bants of Doug um, tweeting an image of the DVD cover with Danny John Jules scribbled out. Um, but that was the that was the DVD cover. So we've now seen it, and so we've seen that um, we're going to have behind the scenes, uh, which is the documentary, uh, deleted scenes, smegups, uh, raw effects footage, model shots, and trailers. And promos. Um, however, no commentary. Uh, Still a bigger haul than we've had since eight, or since Body Snatcher. Yeah. No music cues either. No. Yeah. Which is interesting because I've not actually heard that much new. How good old stuffs to that really? There might be. I mean, previously I might be wrong here, but I believe how good old was working from within the BBC and now maybe he owns it all and it might have been a little bit expensive for licensing but that is me completely pulling things out of my hand. Yeah, you, yeah. Just <laughs> you just made something up. I just made something up but, you know... <laughs> but... <laughs> no, come on. In the BBC days, people were doing work for the... It's yeah. like the model... It's like the visual effects department, you know? It's, you, it's you knew where that, that one yeah. umbrella is. just not like that anymore. You knew where that was owned whereas we don't know who owns this, etc. Yeah. But yeah, um, so Doug tweeted a sort of follow-up tweet saying that um, there will be a reversible cover in the UK, so presumably we're getting another equivalent to the Series 1 to 8 ones um, that will line up. And he also says, no, there are no commentaries, but he has a solution to that. Which iTunes? Yeah, you'd have to assume it's releasing them online. Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea of someone releasing Red Dwarf commentaries online and getting people to download them, <laughs> lining it up and pressing play when you hear the pips and stuff like that, that's tedious really, isn't it? Yeah, what the fuck was that? But wasn't his reasoning for them not being one is that they don't like doing them? No, he said, no commentaries which we all hate, and I took that to mean he hates the situation uh, that, that there are no, no commentaries. commentaries. <laughs> yeah. Not There's no commentaries because I hate I, I, I hate commentaries. I think it's true that uh, Doug has said in the past that he's not always been 100% confident doing commentaries himself, but all his commentaries have been amazing. That yeah. you know, On Body Snatcher Collection and on uh, Back to Earth were brilliant commentaries. And I the cast commentaries as well it, are always worth listening. Worth one if they're releasing something separately, um, maybe to go around the problem of you know that tedious thing of having to line it up with the episode, maybe we'll get something more along the lines of six of the best, kind of allows Chatty. for a bit more of a, a freer discussion. But then you know that is what the behind the scenes documentary is for as well. Um, yeah, that's true. Paul, Paul Williams has pointed out uh, Reese Shearsmith and the other bloke uh, Steve Pemberton did commentaries for Inside Number Nine online, uh, so it's not on tested ground. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Clem says those were great. The Inside Number Nine ones. So there you go. No, not me. Clear alternative audio track. It's interesting though, because the, the the guys have never done a sort of commentary for a new series since eight. 
So it's it's going to be interesting how they will approach an episode if they do a commentary, how they will approach it, given the fact that it's really new compared to well, they know, did like they did Back to Earth. Oh yeah, I think that's what Danny meant, wasn't it? No, I was just wrong. Stop giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> no, no, I was just wrong. I think when it comes to a cast commentary, I think they would have even they'd be less interesting or more interesting modern series. But I'm not particularly good at commentary. Oh, Capsi's died. Form. Kepsi has been taken over by Daleks. Oh, oh no. no. Oh no. Speak speak to us, Kepsi. I'm here. Good. Oh. Right. <laughs> you temporarily went, so I'll assume you were talking nonsense. Uh, <laughs> uh, I probably was. Uh, I'm going I'm to uh, move on to our next bit of some news uh, because we're really uh, talking a lot this week. Uh, Doug uh, Naylor, um, there's been a few things that he's been saying in interviews. Um, this was one last week that kind of passed us by, but it was last week. He said on Five Live uh, in an interview, there's a show that we're doing in series te- uh, 12, which is about certain products that you've been made blind to, so you can't see them. So you can only see certain products created by a certain manufacturer. And again, you know, that's sort of <laughs> of our time now. It wouldn't have been so relevant in 1989. So there's... Uh, Another plot has been revealed for series 12, um, which we know quite a lot about considering it's only a year away. Um, still a year away, rather. He also said in an interview with The Telegraph, unfortunately, um, that went online today, basically he's been talking about the live show again. He says, uh, we haven't sat down properly and spoken about it, but all the boys want to do a live tour and it will be great. Um, it would be an hour and a half or two hours with a story which would require planning and writing on his part. It wouldn't just be like Python at the O2 doing sketches and lots of dances and songs. It would have to be like a movie on stage with special effects. And whether that then becomes incredibly expensive and therefore undoable, we don't know until we've investigated more. Spoilers! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it will be very expensive. And would it be great? Like... Well, yeah. Guess based on the audience recordings and how often people forget their lines and whatnot and how often Doug likes to mm. rewrite lines mm. Mm. <laughs> like a few hours worth of non non-broken content where they don't they don't mess up yeah is very like. very hopeful but then bottom live worked incredibly well mm. and that was just like there was a, there was a script yeah. But, but bottom live was basically each show um, lasted about an hour and a half uh, within with interval, uh, but the script was probably only half an hour, and the mm. rest of it was them improvising, pissing about, just going off scripts. I think a bit of that would work for Red Dwarf, but if you're going to make something that's all visual effectsy, then you've got to hit your cues at certain times to make mm. the visual effects work. So it yeah. might lose a bit of that appeal and not break props. Yes, <laughs> but then you know they can make a virtue out of breaking props. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the, if it was a live show and like people like it, people like it when they smeg up. <laughs> um, smeg. Uh, you know, people would just like to be there, and I, mm-hmm. you know, even though I'm knocking it, if it happened, yeah, I'd we'll want, go. I'd want to be there. That's <laughs> the problem. I'd want to go to every single one. It's going to get really expensive for me. <laughs> and then we'd have to work out some sort of spoiler policy. God, just don't bother. <laughs> I 
I mean, we'd we'd be really really disruptive with our live dwarf cast. <laughs> <laughs> we'd probably get thrown out. Um, just dialing back to that that red dwarf twelve plot, which is something I've completely missed until you just said it. Yeah, sounds really really good. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's seen that episode in the room. I haven't, but I've heard some bits about it, so I'm being really careful about what I'm saying because I know that we're live and spoiler policy. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, it's series twelve. Really good, solid it's idea. Away. Yeah, it's a good idea uh, that we'll see in a year's time. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's nearly time for a quick commercial break now. Uh, yes, a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we'll be exp- examining some small points, i.e. any little details about Samsara that we've not yet covered. So if you'd like to whack your small point onto the table, the easiest <laughs> way at this stage is to comment on Spreaker or to tweet us at Ganymede Titan. And we'll be right back after these messages. These misguided individuals and some of their curious adventures aboard the Red Dwarf are available on VHS from BBC Video and a salutary lesson to any self-respecting space cadet who's looking for the meaning of life. This is because the Red Dwarf crew have never ever been acquainted with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Don't panic, because this invaluable tool and its remarkable stories are available on Earth in three formats, video, CD, and cassette. BBC Video, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. It's looking so dirty, what are we gonna do? Jeff Micro Liquid, where are you? I'm Jeff Micro Liquid. Okay, I'm small, but I've got micro power. With one tiny capful, I clean and dry to a brighter shine. That's micro power, see what I mean? Coming! Just a couple of drops on greasy dirt and I give a better clean. Better, got it? Everywhere! That's why everyone's shouting... Just microliquid, where are you? He outshines ordinary liquids. Hey, P. Remember the good old days? On the farm? Remember your pod? And all the little peas that you grew up with. Don't you miss them? Right, next. Hey, P, remember the good old... Nobody makes peas mushy like bachelors. All right! Whoa! I can't go out like this, man. I mean, I'm naked. Sure, I'm smooth, but I need a look. Aha! Now, let's see. Stripes. Ugh. Red? No. Checks quite nice. Oh, no. Can I get away with that? Of course I can! Wow! Cooler than a snowman's cold bits. Polo Spearmint. Cool look, cool taste. Play the McDonald's one and a half million pound Monopoly game. There are thousands of great prizes to win instantly, or by collecting the stickers on special cups and fry boxes. We're giving away ten mini Mayfairs. United Vacations Holidays in America. Lots of free McDonald's, including Big Macs and Coca-Cola. And even the chance to win £50,000! Big Macs all round! Go directly to McDonald's and play the £1.5 million Monopoly game. Captain's Log, Stardate 1992. 
Flight recordings are being sent to us by three important space vessels, the Liberator, the TARDIS, and Red Dwarf. It hasn't worked. What happened? Well, Lister altered the timelines. Give me the Star Trek wacko jackal. Where is it? I lost it. Absolutely ridiculous. Think of something. I'm thinking. Perhaps we could try a mind swap. Captain's log supplemental. I've agreed to the loan of my first officer's holographic mind print. Well, it'll take a few seconds for the timelines to sort themselves out, and then we'll see if it's worked. BBC Video have boldly brought us Doctor Who, Blake Seven, and Red Dwarf. Well done, Mr. Spock. And welcome back. You rejoin us as we prepare to thumb through some small points. Uh, and first of all, I would like to handle Danny's small point. Oh, would you now? Um, yeah, my small point was um, there is a little moment when um, with Lister and the ice cream when he goes, ah, 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 and then a drop comes off the ice cream and hits the floor. It's a really well-timed little bit. And I don't remember that happening in the recording. Ah. I think there was added afterwards or it was something that happened during a take and they reused it i have some tweets on that subject uh, that came in from uh, carrie parsons of the official red dwarf fan club who was at that recording uh she says uh the bunk room scenes were live and lister's ice cream which was actually squirty cream and mashed potato yeah. uh, fell into rimmer's bunk on the first take forcing a reset uh and then <laughs> Uh, so it was an accident. The first drip was kept in, and then shortly after that, the whole thing went. This this reminds me of of my uh, complaint that it was very obviously not not ice cream, yes. which was I I just found it slightly annoying because I'm 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 sorry I'm that sort of person I'm really sorry. <laughs> it did bother me a bit because especially like, you Wait. can tell it's squirty cream. Yeah, it's not ice cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know why it's not ice cream. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's it right on the logic. But, like... but squirty cream isn't the structural integrity of squirty cream is not good either. <laughs> no, so... no, that's. I mean, they got round this years ago, Red by giving him a, a Belgian waffle with squirty cream on top, which would have been perfectly acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I would next like to touch upon my girlfriend's small point. <laughs> um. So it's something that I did mention on GNT already, but uh, the abrupt ending, which a lot of people didn't like, um, I feel could have been softened a little bit if they had used the opportunity to do an alternative end mm. theme music. Um, in my head, it would be a voiceover of Rimmer saying like something like come on listy it's time for a polka party and then having a polka version of the end credits yeah um because obviously list has cheated and therefore by default lost the game <laughs> um and i think that would have kind of taken away that jarring it did. end a little bit it's like yeah twentica for me didn't feel like it needed that last scene at the end yeah, no. Whereas this felt like it needed something else at the end. Yes. Hammond organ music. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Essentially, do that again, because yeah. that was really good. Um, we have a small point from our diseased friend, John Hoare, 
he says, uh, I liked that no absolute moral stand was taken by the episode against the adulterers. No moralizing. They're seen as silly people muddling through and fucking up, not pure evil. And I like that a lot. I I kind of have the opposite view. Uh oh. This will cause trouble. Um, in a way, it, it seems really obsessed with sex. Um, the the karma drive seems really, really, really obsessed with sex. But I think yeah. the the whole episode seems to revolve around it, uh, and the way that the remaining crew kind of. Um, try and cope with the karma drivers by yeah. having lots. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of there. There is the dialogue that says about the karma drive is that mm. the problem with it is that it can be programmed by one particular person, and yeah. so you have their particular moral thing. Mm. So maybe your man, Captain Tom Cadry, <laughs> had a problem with sex. He was really repressed. Yes. And so he set the karma drive to be mo- mostly morally sex based. Yes, uh, it's bad, okay. And because of that, that's what made when uh, Barker reprogrammed the Karma Drive, it was it was on a sexy basis. And so, <laughs> it seems sex be... was the went from the worst thing to the best thing in the eyes of the Karma Drive. Yeah, it, it seemed, it, yeah, it seemed oddly, yeah, oddly sort of um, Puritan, but also um, the the show itself. Yeah, it didn't punish they. Well, they end up being killed by the karma drive. But there was a, a, a kind of attitude that everything they did seemed to be fine. Mm. And the, I've still got a big problem with Barker killing the crew, which is effectively what she did. Yes, accidentally. Uh, yes. She murdered the entire crew. She had, yeah. <laughs> because and this, she wanted a bit of tetsu. Because she wanted yeah, to get her like <laughs> Yeah, we'll get her underway. <laughs> I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> It, the way that the story set up is is suggesting that they'll they'll be able to get through this particular assignment and then meet up again later on um, for sexy times. And I was just like, there is no acceptable level of jeopardy here in this relationship that justifies what they did, um, as far as I can see in terms of the story. Um, so yeah, I kind of. I, well, no, but the the karma drive is broken, so that's yeah. like it, it's it was all askew anyway. So I don't think it's saying that that was a like her killing the entire crew <laughs> was her punishment for daring to have sex because you know you shouldn't because it's evil and it's, women are evil. Oh, that's your excuse. And uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, like you, you know the com- it was broken, and so it was just going to huge mm. extremes. They just yeah. I, I felt like it was trying to make a moral point and then just drifted. I don't know. Because they didn't... Like, the crew... Um, the Red Dwarf crew didn't remark on it. So it wasn't like they're... Because they're like... You know, they weren't commenting on on the fact that these guys were having an affair or anything like that. And Craig's going, whoa, best guess, they had an affair. And they just were like, okay. Yeah. List- Lister yeah. says, like, it's astonishing the lengths that people will go to. Yeah. But he wasn't saying they're bad people for having no. an affair, which is kind of, yeah, that's John's point, I think. Yeah. Is that the show doesn't make them, ba- doesn't say that they're bad people. Um, I have a few online small points. Um, I've got <laughs> I've got a pair of small points from, from John's mud. Uh, he says, uh, this went on to a big discussion, uh, but just for the record, he asks, is the guy uh, in the flashback somehow connected to Richard Herring? Because 
is probably being confused by all the references. Yes, uh, Dan Tetzel is in As It Occurs to Me, which is Richard Herring's seminal podcast, which has just come back uh, for a revival and is brilliant still and was brilliant then. And Dan Tetzel's the best thing in it as Tony Andrew Collings. Um, and so the dwarf fact based on him will now make more sense if you go and watch As It Occurs to Me. Um, John's Mad uh, also says... Uh, that the scene of meeting the dust cuts is, is like Crichton mixed with the Everybody's Dead Dave piles. Yeah, I said piles. Um, <laughs> Pete uh, Dylan Trenchard on Twitter says, There will be commentaries, but you have to complete the ship scan level 50 times on hard mode to unlock them. Oh. Easy. Easy. Um, Easy. We have more small points. Uh, Dan Pendle... Dependo... Dan Pendo Pendleton... <laughs> I'm getting tired. Dan Pendo Pendleton says that he hasn't seen Samsara in HD yet, uh, but the underwater model shots seem very dark in the UK uh, TV play version. Were they any better on the HD broadcast? Uh, no. <laughs> no. We watched them just that. Yeah, there's some some of the model shots seem to be sort of deliberately dark and murky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we touched on that earlier, but it was so long ago now that I can't remember. <laughs> because uh, I don't think we did, but. Yeah, the the other confusion which people have been debating for last week, Pendo mentions it here as well, was that Starbug going down to the Samsara? Because we know that Starbug can go underwater, and it kind of looks like it's the Starbug shape, but it's so distant in the shot, even on HD on telly. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to, hard to tell. tell. It's distant and blurry. We and might shadows. find out in the game. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would open up a whole debate about what's canon and, and what's not. Mm. I think it was white midget. Okay. <laughs> um, international debris. Uh, Danny might be the best person to ask this um, because these are related to the set report, which you've done. Um, were Starbug scenes removed from this episode? Uh, we didn't see any model shots at all, so we, we don't know whether there were any plans for that episode specifically. We never saw any, basically. But Starbug cockpit scenes... Oh, right, I see. Um, oh, that's a good question. I can't remember. Excellent. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if I had the best chance. Excellent. But, uh, Come to G&T for all the top quality analysis. There might have been a Starbucks scene, but because yeah, because they, they were, there was a lot of Starbucks scenes in the episode, we'd song we recorded, maybe they weren't in Samsara. I don't remember them being much of a um, um, Starbucks stuff. Okay. Uh, International Debris also asks um, was Lister falling over in the dark the bit that you thought was might be a smeg up from the set report yes yes, yes it was it was exactly that bit because it was the last take I think and uh, I think Craig was told to go for it for the final take to get the best reaction out of the audience so I think that he it sounded much worse when it was actually happening, it sounded much more dangerous when it happened live in front of you. Because thing is, we didn't even see what happened. We could only hear what happened. Because obviously it's so dark anyway. And then there's just this cacophony of noise where, you know, Lizzie Craig just went, oh, hang on, I'll just go get this thing. And then there's this massive crash. And everyone was like properly shocked about what just happened. And then right. they just didn't, they didn't address it at all. They just went on. So that, yeah, that was the smack up that I thought was not intentional. You could kind of tell from the audience reaction in the final episode, I think, there's a kind of disbelief about the reaction. It's, it's not just a laugh, it's kind of, ooh, is, is he yeah, alright? It's, it's quite a shocked reaction. I really think that's a very nicely done bit, I think. Yeah, it was, it was definitely one of the best woofers of the night. 
Yeah. Woof. Right then, I think we'd better move on and start thinking about bringing this thing to a close as it is, uh, we've been going for an hour and 40 minutes now. Yay. Um, so, just before we go, next week slash tomorrow, it is Give and Take, episode three. Now, if only, if only it was an ampersand and not the word and, then this would clearly, <laughs> this entire episode would clearly just be a reference to us. Uh, and I'm I'm disappointed with Doug that after all the hard work we've put in over the years that he hasn't named an episode after us yet. Yeah, but I'm, I'm still hoping for mentioned in a director's commentary. Well, I'm hoping that an episode of series twelve will just be called Ian Symes. <laughs> the the of a future ship would be the Ian Symes Sara. Symes Sara. So yeah, what do we know about give and take? Was anyone here at that recording? Uh, yes. Joe was at that recording. What did you make of it? Obviously, you can't give us any spoilers. I can give you no spoilers, but I really liked it. Oh. Um. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. It's got some excellent um comedy moments in it. Um, stuff that made me laugh quite throughout it. I've got good memories of the recording. Um. Yeah, I can't really tell you anything without spoiling things, but. But I enjoyed it at the recording, um, and I enjoyed Twentica at the recording, and I, I liked that when it was in an episode, so, so hopefully the same will <laughs> yeah, continue. Yeah, good track record. Yes. Well, what we, what we know about Give and Take is that it's the one with the big scary fuck-off fish robot thing that yes. steals organs. Um, That's the assumption, isn't it? Just because organs have been... Because the official synopsis is... Oh yeah, okay. Lister has a kidney stolen. By that a robot. What, that's what the synopsis is. Isn't yeah. The cat has to give him something. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, fish robot. Yes, uh, and there's a lot. I mean, we assume everyone's been assuming, which I don't think we actually know for sure, unless you were at the recordings, in which case you can't say. Um, but that a lot of the stuff from the original trailer, um, mm-hmm. the we're picking up life science bit, people are assuming that that's from Give and Take uh, because it looks like it might be because Give and Take seems to be kind of dark and scary and moody and a kind of a yeah. bit inquisitory maybe. And it was all intercut in the trailer as well. It was. And I, right from watching the trailer, I thought, well, if I was making a trailer and I wanted to excite people but also throw them off the scent, then I would <laughs> I would mix yeah. up completely unrelated things and make them look like they're a sequence. But they might just be a sequence. We don't know. But yeah, I think after after Give and Take, there'll be less pre-existing stuff that we've seen for each of the subsequent episodes that it seems to be like a lot of the title sequence and the trailers is stuff that we've already seen in Twentica and Samsara and I think once all the robot fish robot <laughs> scary robot is out of the way <laughs> which by the way it's it's spoilery uh, but if you go to the latest uh, if you've got the copy of the latest Doctor Who magazine uh, there is a spoiler um, basically they've interviewed the person that plays the scary fish robot thing uh, and he doesn't give much away but he does give away the name of the character that he plays in Red Dwarf uh, mm-hmm. so if you wanna, if you want to get a spoiler robot. ahead of tomorrow's release <laughs> of the episode then you can go and do that uh, but yeah uh, like I say we're expecting Give and Take to be released on UK TV Play on Friday morning 
So head to the other G&T, that's Ganymede and Titan, as soon as you've watched it to join in the discussion. Uh, we'll then have some talking points for you by Friday evening with the full review to follow in the coming days. And we'll be back here at the same time next week for another live Dwarfcast. Uh, thank you so much to everyone that's listened live tonight, and especially those of you who have got in touch. Um, I mean, I'm just seeing people just saying my name in the comments now, so that's <laughs> lovely. That's uh, the name of the robot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much if you've listened tonight, and if you've missed any, you can catch up on Spreaker right now, uh, or you can find the podcast version on www.ganymede.tv, iTunes, and all the usual places on Friday. Uh, thank you to our guest, Joe Sharples, and thanks again for listening. Until next week, Ed bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.